Hi guys, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Emily. And this is Gory Time. So today's episode is a long one and a twisty one. So buckle up. In June of 1988, a couple, Mick and Elena, gave birth to a baby girl. They named her Shan Emma O'Callaghan. And three years later, she gets a little baby sister, Laura. Her parents describe Shan as inspiring, incredible, vibrant, warm and happy. And in 2011, she was 22, working as an office administrator and had a boyfriend called Kevin. They were living together in a little flat in Swindon. On the 18th of March 2011, Shan decided she was going to go on a night out with friends. So they decided to go to a club called Suju, I think it's pronounced, which is in the Old Town area. So it's a nightclub which is only half a mile from our flat and Emily, can you imagine being able to walk home from a nightclub, even in student flats? I mean, like, I did walk home, but it was not walking distance. It no. was a trek. <laughs> it's one of these, I can't be bothered getting a taxi, be home in an hour. Mm. But she she could walk home and, you know, we still had to get taxis home, usually. So she has a good night and at 2.52am, last orders have been called, so she decides to get a head start in the crowds and and leaves. She starts to walk towards her home, cosy bed, Kevin's waiting for her, but it's going to take 10 to 15 minutes. A taxi would be quicker, so we decide she's going to get a taxi. And as she passes the Goddard and as she passes the Goddard arms, she gets into a taxi. At 3.24, her boyfriend Kevin texts her, but she never replies, so he keeps trying to contact her, and at 5.35am, he is still trying to contact her. So, it gets to 9.49, he reports Shan missing. So, he makes sure that they have, fuck, so he makes sure that they have about as much time to find her as... He is giving them as much time to find her as possible. He has set alarms as soon as possible. But he and her family and her friends try to look for her. They try calling her, talking to people she might have contacted. She just wants a little space, but no one had heard from her. He even called hospitals to see if she was there. The next day, when no one had heard from her, and the police have no leads, they appeal for information. Police also reveal they have been searching a 4,500-acre Severnake forest. I am sorry if you know this forest and I have pronounced it wrong. I have no idea. So, clearly, no one thinks anything good about Shan being missing. That's a lot, a lot of space to search. It's a big area. Like, dogs would be best for that. Mm. But the fact they're searching the forest to me seems 
concerning. Yeah, definitely. So just the morning after, on the Monday morning, the lead investigator, Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher, remember the name, you will hear it a lot. Okay, okay. Said that he had a, they had information showing that her phone had been active within a six and a half mile radius of the telephone mast in Cadley, which is a 23 minute drive from Old Town in Swindon where she was last seen. He talks to the media to try and find out Shan's movements between 3.15 and 4am in the Savernick area. At 3pm, Shan's boyfriend Kevin and her family appear on TV, like literally in tears, begging to find out information. Kevin said, We all want to know where Shan is and we want her home safe and well. Please tell everyone that Kevin is officially not a suspect and they also released CCTV footage of Shan leaving surgery on the morning of the 19th. Emily, I sent you the footage of this. Can you tell me what you see? Nothing out of the ordinary at all. It's super normal. She doesn't seem upset or angry or anything. So normal. She's just, she's just walking out the club. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, thousands of people, including those closest to Shan, gather in Savernake Forest to help search the area. An anonymous donor offers £20,000 reward for information regarding to Shan's whereabouts. What the people in the field don't know, however, is that police already have a suspect. So, you know how there is CCTV footage of her leaving Suju? Well, there's more CCTV footage. And on this footage, they see her getting into a Toyota Avensis. And this was a taxi. And they got a number plate. So, is this information known to, like, Kevin and, like, people? Or no. Not no one at all? No one. Police know this, and no one else. Right. So, when she got in that taxi, and gets driven away, as soon as police knew she was missing, and knew where she'd been that night, they knew what car she had got in. So... When, the next day, it's seen on the automatic number plate recognition, travelling along the A346 to Marlborough, and then returns to Swindon, Swindon within the hour. And later that day, that car is seen on number plate recognition, travelling back towards Marlborough, and then onwards to Oxford, and then turns up to, back to work back in Swindon, three hours after starting this journey. I get how confusing that sounds. Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds like a mess. But basically, this guy is doing circles for... So the round trip is two hours and ten minutes. But it takes three hours to do this whole journey, is the main point in the case, and returns to places in between. Mm -hmm. So that means that for 50 minutes, the are untraceable. That she they was, don't know she was in the taxi with him. We don't know. I was going to say, it's a long time for a distance. She could have walked. <laughs> yeah. We just know <laughs> that this taxi is seen, once it's been identified, this taxi is seen doing this Swindon, Marlborough, Swindon, Marlborough, Oxford, Swindon journey. Right, Okay. And it would take two hours and ten minutes to do. But this taxi does it in three. I see. So I could justify ten to fifteen minutes outside of this. Traffic lights, 
just traffic in general. But 50 minutes seems a little bit excessive. A few hours later, in the early morning of Sunday, this taxi is in the cul-de-sac where Shan lived. This hadn't been released to the public yet. Her dress, I mean. So the fact that this taxi knew where she had lived? Likely because she'd told him. Or they have her personal information, like her ID. That morning, at 4.08am, the taxi signs off for the night. It says they're going home to sleep. But instead of this, the taxi is seen going back to Marlborough again at 418 and then back home again at 448 very dodgy <laughs> it's very strange it's not a normal <laughs> journey to be going no <laughs> so the next day which is now the monday this taxi again travels to marlborough and then back to swindon again and it is the next day that police put this taxi under surveillance the driver, Christopher Halliwell, a taxi driver, convicted car thief and burglar. While under surveillance, he goes to the police point outside of Suju to collect Shan's missing person appeal poster and puts it up inside his taxi. Later that night, he drives to a car wash. Where the police find a bloody car seat cover and headrest in the wheelie bin. Gosh. The blood matches Shan's DNA. So police at this point have mixed feelings. This is great, there's so much evidence, probably in the right track, they they know this guy has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, nothing good has happened to Shan. And as unlikely it seems, there had been hope. There was hope that she had walked away that she'd been angry at Kevin or she needed some space. But now, with her blood all over this car seat cover and on a headrest that had been found in a bin, didn't lead to anything good. The chances of her ever being seen again are going smaller and smaller. So Halliwell goes to work to pick up his wages and while he's there he comments to a colleague Who knows what or who you would find buried out there. There could be loads of people over the years. And like I've said before this is the kind of thing that I have thought Yeah. But I have not killed people. So (laughs) a little bit different. I actually thought this today well the other day I was in Oban and we passed so much just countryside and I was like hmm could be bodies galore out there and you'd have no idea it's just it's such a creepy thought yeah it's creepy that he's saying it very it's very it's just like a a weird thing to say while you're going in to pick up your wages (laughs) right yeah because like I would say this to you or my family, or people I'm close to. People that I know are going to give me a, go, a weird look and be like, mm, yeah. that was a strange comment, but not it's going to go. <laughs> people that know I'm not going to kill someone, I'd say this too. And not just colleagues. Anyway. 
So this guy seems to drive constantly. He has been out driving since 10am according to the Swindon advertiser and at 2am the surveillance team sees Halliwell's car return from Cov- Covingham, I think it's pronounced, to Wanborough. Really don't know how to pronounce these English towns. Yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> but here we go, if anyone wants to correct me, feel free. So this is only a seven minute drive. So officers have a look at this stretch of road and they find a fire on the road. And within this fire, they find the charred remains of what looks like car seat covers. But it wasn't the complete car seat. There were bits missing. Odd. Mm. What's been done with them? So throughout the time they've been tracking Halliwell physically, they have also been tracking him virtually. So they track his phone. So they have everywhere that he has been before they started following him. So police are able to narrow the search to what they are calling hotspots. And police specifically ask the public not to turn up to today's search. Now, what that suggests to me is that they have an idea that they might find something that they don't want a member of the public to see. Mm, Yeah, that's true. But Detective Superintendent Fulcher said that the inquiry was moving at a rapid pace with significant lines of inquiry being developed. Literally, the next day, Halliwell is arrested for her kidnap outside of Asda. While this is happening, his house is completely cordoned off. So detectives conduct an urgent interview with Halliwell. But Fulcher has an idea. In fact, he thinks it's a great idea. He's not going to take Halliwell to Gable Cross Police Station. He's going to take him to Barbary Castle, an iron-age hill fort. His deputy tells him this is a bad idea, but he ignores this. He takes Halliwell there anyway. So on this clear, sunny day, Halliwell and Fulcher smoke cigarettes and just talk for four hours. At first, Halliwell was reserved, but eventually a connection starts to form between the two of them. At this point, they've been there for hours, so Filcher starts to think it's probably time to give up. But just as he thinks this, Halliwell cracks. He says he'll take Filcher to Sam Shan's body. Halliwell took him to Uffington White Horse, which is a prehistoric hill that literally has a 110 metre long figure of a horse it's like cut when filled with chalk it's a weird looking thing yeah that but sounds, he takes them there sounds very odd i read about this and i was like i need to see this because i don't understand 110 meters long yes I'm genuinely <laughs> please do <laughs> is uffington white horse uffington white horse Oh, oh, I see. I had... I will put photos of this on Instagram and the website. I had this image in my head of it standing up, like, <laughs> not in the ground. I feel like we'd have heard about this. I probably should have got that from the trenches part, but... <laughs> just... As they stand at the tail of the horse, they are standing over the grave of Shan O'Callaghan. had been stabbed in the neck and head 
She had deep scratches and bruises that were from being punched and kicked in the face. She had bruises and bite marks covering her breasts and specifically her nipples. Halliwell smoked and flatly said, do you want another one? As Halliwell led Fulcher to a field, Fulcher thought about how he and Halliwell had developed this mutually destructive relationship. In his book, he writes, our bond had the flavour now of a mutually assured destruction. We'd both put ourselves in positions where we were sacrificing our lives. Even just by having a casual chat with Halliwell, he was breaching Code C of the Police Criminal Evidence Act, which specifically protects the rights of an individual against the police with regard to questioning and detention. So the correct way to have done this would have been to caution Halliwell again. He had already been cautioned twice, but apparently you need to caution him again before you're interviewed. He should have told Halliwell they had the right to speak to a solicitor, spoke to a police officer about this and they were shocked about how this was conducted and flatly told me that this was very illegal. Really? Right, see, I I have a question about this, right? See how it was saying about you apparently need to be cautioned a third time before you're interviewed? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that only if there's... But they found, like, evidence. So... Basically how it works is that they'd cautioned him to arrest him but you have to, it's not about the amount of times but it's before you do the next step you need to caution them and you also need to like read them their rights essentially. Does this go for everyone? Like what if they fully just witness someone murder someone? Oh yeah, they need to They need to read it. They need to give them all their rights, read them um, whatever the script is and like literally if they see someone murder someone they intervene obviously but as they are arresting them they need to read this out oh right yeah like you see in movies right yes oh i see okay um and the issue is that he basically took him in his car and then took him out the car and went we're gonna have a chat and missed the the legal parts of it, essentially. I see. And given that he got evidence from this, makes it like almost inadmissible because, mm-hmm. in a way, he's acting as a private citizen instead of um, a police officer. Right. Okay. That I guess. Because I guess in a way that makes sense. I suppose. Yeah. Um. It might not all be correct, but this is as much as I have <laughs> yeah, fair. gathered. Filcher's excuse in his book was, as he says, because I'm holding him on a knife edge. He never said, right, I'm going to tell you exactly where she is and what I've done, etc. That isn't how this worked. All he said was, you got a car? We'll go. And basically, he says that this was his only choice, but we'll never know if that's true or not. But they get to that field and Halliwell shows them to another grave. He tells them that he'd killed this woman sometime in 2003 or 2004. So this would have been seven or eight years earlier. And it is only at this point that he is finally taken to the police station. It's a bit odd, like, it's just a bit weird that, um, that when he first takes him to the first grave, 
at that point, like, why did he stay? Like, why why wasn't he just, like, immediately, like, oh, let's, I'm taking you to the police station? Like, trying to get as much information as possible? I guess so. He, um, he took him to the grave and just, as they stood there, he was like, you want another body? That That's just so creepy. It's like he just does not care at all. He's just killed people and just doesn't care. Yeah, just doesn't feel anything about no it. No emotion at all. Mm-hmm. I would call him a sociopath, but I learned yesterday that the sociopath has not been used as a description since the 60s. Has it not? Mm. Apparently, like, um, the behavioural analysis part of the FBI has stopped using that in, like, 1968. Oh. They're now just psychopaths. Gee, someone told me recently that now people say that there's no difference between the two but I was like I thought there was a difference but then you're saying that they just call everyone a psychopath now see I thought there was a difference between a psychopath and a sociopath but they're saying that there's no they're saying they're the same thing well not the same thing they're saying sociopath isn't a thing and they're just all considered psychopaths fair I'll leave that to the experts I'll just (laughs) gather what I can and tell everyone about it at a press conference later that day, it's announced that Christopher Halliwell had been arrested on suspicion of kidnapping and murder. Just eight days after Sham went missing, thousands of people gathered in the polo ground off Marlborough Road to pay tribute to Sham. They have a two-minute silence to remember, and then they release thousands of lanterns. The same day, Halliwell was charged with the murder of Sean O'Callaghan, and he does not apply for bail. On the 5th of April, nearly two weeks after she was found, the second woman who, who was found gets her name, Becky Gordon Edwards. And on the 11th of April, on what would have been Becky's 29th birthday, her friends organised a balloon race of 200 balloons that all had her photo on them. Becky was 20 in 2003. She was a sex worker and Halliwell was besotted with her. He'd seen her about as he worked as a taxi driver in Swindon's red light district. Becky was last seen leaving a nightclub and getting into a taxi. Sound familiar? Yeah. (laughs) Halliwell had sex with Becky, whether this was consensual as a client or, or if he abducted her and raped her. I don't know. But what I do know is that he then strangled her and buried her body in that field. That Halliwell took Detective Superintendent Fulcher to. You know what they didn't find in that field? Her head. Ah, uh, that's just so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like, where, where the hell is her head? That just freaks me out. <laughs> I don't know. Uh. When they charge Halliwell with Becky's murder, they allege that she was murdered someday between the 27th of December 2003 and January 1st of 2006. Which is really a long period of time. Yeah. Like, how did no one know she was missing for three years? I was going to say, like, what did what did all of her friends and family think had happened to her this whole time? Missing. She just took off. Now, I had a look at the Justice for for Becky Gordon page and her dad seems to think that Fulcher had known where Becky's body had been for years. And honestly, the page seems a little confusing. 
and very hateful towards everyone. Like people comment on some of the posts and her dad will reply with just hateful things and he is clearly not in a good place. I wonder if that's how he is or if he's become this way. I have no idea, but it's it's a lot. So Halliwell pleads not guilty to Shan's murder and unfortunately Becky's murder charge is dropped because of the stunt that Filter pulled. His evidence could not be used in court. Um, Filcher actually gets suspended and a formal investigation into his behaviour but in his coroner is actually Becky and Shan's parents who are just so thankful for having their daughter's remains and they don't care how he got them. They're just glad to have their daughter's home. Filcher says that if he had not done what he had done then Halliwell would still be walking the streets today. Which I don't think is fair because other good police work could have been done. Yeah, that's true. But he says, and whatever the public thinks about it, and I'm as liberal as the next person, there's a very good chance he'd have killed other women in the meantime. After this, he says he is unemployable in the UK and he's currently working as a, for a private company in Mogadishu in Somalia as a consultant. Wow. He trains police officers now. Oh. It seems... But it's. I know that he, like, didn't do it properly and it was all illegal and everything, but it just seems that he was trying to do the right thing and now he's been punished. Yeah. He, he was trying to do the right thing, but the issue is that in the police, doing the right thing is kind of... It's a given. It's part of the job. But you need to tick boxes while you're mm. doing your job. Yeah. So eventually Halliwell does plead guilty to Shan's murder and is sentenced to at least 25 years in prison. In 2016, a judge rules that the evidence collected by Fulcher about Becky should be heard in court. And when it is, a jury finds him guilty and sentences him to life in prison. So he will never be released. So, seems like the end, yeah? And I said that this was going to be a long one. But I this know, is I was only just the beginning. There, I was like, how can this be going on? <laughs> it's all wrapped up in a tidy little bow, isn't it? Well, not so much. Because in the woodland near Marlborough, they found 60 items of women's clothing buried in the dirt. Which could be coincidental, but they found Shan's new look boots and Becky's cardigan. <sighs> In their stash of clothing. Items of clothing. That is mad. Sixty. So I warn you, this bit is a bit conspiratorial. This is all conjecture. I have zero proof apart from a rabbit hole of just so many articles for this. But the next thirty victims I am going to tell you about are suspected victims of Christopher Halliwell and this does not include Shan and Becky. Now as this is such a long case we're gonna take a break here and we will come back to it next week. <laughs> 
and I will tell you all about possible victims of Christopher Halliwell. If you like this or you just want to make me do a little happy dance, then please subscribe, rate us five stars, and I'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.